The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. Back everybody to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode two sixty nine. Got another special guest, first timer on the show from PitcherList.com. You can find him on Twitter at John with no H J O N underscore E underscore Baseball. John Metzelar, how we doing, man? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Uh, I mentioned before we started recording that this is my first non-PitcherList podcast, so. It's quite an honor. Uh, I'm wearing my nice sweatpants for you, and uh, that's that's really saying something. So, well, yeah, I appreciate on, you having me on. No problem. Uh, I'm glad to have you on. Like I, I told you, I've, I've been kind of I've been kind of slow playing how much actual fantasy content a week, and like Ben's been doing movies with me. I'm trying to keep content out there, but not overwhelming fantasy because there's only so much we can do right now. But like I, I've been in contact with you. The second your article came out a couple weeks ago, I'm like, I really want to talk to John about this. I think it's a fun article that even not trying to worry about what a short season does to players or whatever, it's a fun article to help with maybe player evaluation for the future. Could be something really cool. So uh, I'm I'm happy to have you for that. And second, I'm glad that, uh, you know, sweatpants, jeans, doesn't matter. I'm just happy you're wearing pants. So that's good (laughs) Um, because I'm not going to say I've not not worn pants doing a podcast, but, you know, Uh it's cool to keep it somewhat professional. I like it. Well, appreciate it. Yeah, I mean, that's the great thing about podcasting is the listener never knows. So. Well, it's like you've seen the old uh, Sports Center commercials and stuff where, you know, they have the suit from the waist up and then they're wearing like basketball <laughs> shorts and tennis shoes and stuff because no one knows what's going on under the table. It's great. Right. Yeah, it's exactly. This is my preferred medium for that very reason. Yeah, I tell people I have a face for t- uh, f- face for radio. So this is like my call <laughs> right here. Like, no one has to know what's going on. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's beautiful. But um, yeah, we're gonna have some fun doing this. Uh, I, I meant to ask also before because you said it uh, when we were first chatting and Alex mm-hmm. Fast does it all the time, and I, I get I joke with him about it all the time. 
you called it a cast. Is that like a pitch? Is that one of the pictureless dictionary things? A cast. I know what it stands for, but I think it's it's awesome because it's it's like a little slang for podcast. Oh yeah, I mean, there's a there's a whole lexicon at PitcherList where we're we're legally required to use certain words. So home runs <laughs> is our taters. Um, you know, we have all kinds of uh, a whole preset dictionary for for how we refer to things, and podcasts are clearly defined as casts. No, I love it. I, I think it's so cool what he says because it, it just it's it slides off the tongue, nice and smooth, mm-hmm. and yeah. it's just like yeah, we're here, we're on the cast. Yeah, I just I love it. Um, Before we get going, we're going to talk about your ideal contact article and probably go down some rabbit holes on some players and different stat cast metrics. Before we do all that, plug away your you know you do a podcast at Pitcher List and all kinds of other stuff. Yeah, so I'm one of the hosts over at Pitcher List of the Hitter Podcast, um, which everybody obviously goes to Pitcher List for to talk about hitting. (laughs) Um, But me and uh, Dave Chairman are over there. Uh, We record and have guests from pitcher list and, and other places come on and talk about their work um but yeah it's a hitter focused podcast called on the barrel uh we usually talk every week or every other week um and try to dive deep on some guys during the course of the season um and yeah i mean that's that's mainly what i do i also write um during the season hitter lists last year was my first uh season doing that so i rank all the hitters in baseball every week um uh, which is a Herculean effort at times, but uh, I do my best. Um, and yeah, I mean, beyond that, um, I'm one of the the content managers over at PitcherList, so kind of oversee some of the writers uh, that we have on staff. Um, and yeah, I mean, that's mainly what I focus on. I, I'm generally more used to doing like daily fantasy content, just kind of the, the regularly occurring articles. Um, but this article about ideal contact rate was one where I just kind of, became interested in this idea and, and started pursuing it. And um, yeah, I was able to learn a lot actually that I, that I was curious about. Yeah. That's why it, it really gravitated my attention because I, I've had Dan Richards on a few times. I love his barrel park factor stuff. I've talked mm-hmm. to, um, obviously I've talked to Alex about CSW, which everyone knows. Heck he had Jerry Blevins asking him how to use CSW <laughs> on a podcast. Like my goodness. <laughs> um what what you picture list are doing so 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 much awesome stuff so i wanted to chat with you on this so let's just uh let's just get into it and see where it takes us here um an introduction to ideal contact rate before we go like step by step like we were talking about what was kind of your idea for just digging in on this concept well last year was really the first time that i started leaning heavily on barrels as like a tool to analyze hitters um and i was kind of hesitant at the time to buy in because I remember when Hunter Dozier first started kind of breaking out, I was like, there's no way in hell that Hunter Dozier is a a guy now. (laughs) And, um, you know, even when he was having like that really hot streak, I was just kind of brushed it off as like a a hot couple months for him. Um, But if I had been paying attention to to something like barrel rate or his quality of contact metrics, I think I would have been more likely to buy in. And, And as it turned out, he ended up being a totally legit breakout last year. So um, there were a couple guys like that where I kind of brushed them off. But if I had been paying closer attention to their barrel rates and their quality of contact metrics, I would have been a lot earlier in on them. And I probably would have been able to reap all of that excess value. So um, that is what kind of keyed me into barrels as a, as a really good metric for evaluating hitters, at least, you know, for fantasy purposes. Um, but when you go on like a player's baseball savant page, uh, I started to notice that, you know, there's all these other quality of contact metrics and they're not 
used as widely or even understood as widely as barrels are. Um, and, you know, there's a reason for that. Barrels are obviously the best batted ball type you can get. They're great for home runs. They're great for batting average. They're great for extra base hits. They're just an excellent batted ball type. But I was just curious what these other batted ball types did because I felt like if we could apply those to our hitter analysis, it might give it a little bit more depth and help us kind of understand um, what's going on underneath the surface for some of these guys. So that's what kind of really spurred me to to dig in um, to the other batted ball classifications on Savant um, and kind of get a sense of what all these non-barrels were and whether any of them would be useful for kind of identifying future breakouts. And that, that's such an interesting idea to have because you, you mentioned how barrels, the best quality of content you could hope for. Um, it, it's one of the stickiest metrics we've found, especially from StatCast. Like it's a really solid way to analyze a player's production and kind of somewhat predictable uh, mm-hmm. going forward and whatnot. So that, that's been very proven time and time again. But you mentioned it, it's like I just clicked on Mike Trout. That was the first name on the, on the Savant page. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's got last year an 18.6% barrel, 165 the year before, so on and so forth. Well, you know, you don't have to be a genius at math. You know, percentages, 100% is the max. So there's over 80% of where's everything else going. Like, right. there's something else <laughs> going on there. So that's that, that that's an interesting question because, like you said, is, you know, you use baseball savant and fan graphs. I do. Pretty much any fantasy analyst will use these websites, these descriptions to help you know, analyze a player's quality of content, overall offensive skills. But, you know, you see weak, you see top, you see under, all these are different things. And you break them down in this article. I think it's genius because I've never seen it broken down before. So let's just get into it. You, you have a section breaking down the non-barrels. What did you see when you broke down the non-barreled portion of, uh, uh, I guess, contact? Yeah, I mean, so initially I was curious about how these non-barrels were were defined because, you know, I think most people have a sense of how a barrel is defined. It's uh, it has an exit velocity of at least 98 miles per hour. And then there's a certain uh, launch angle kind of window that it has to fall under in order to achieve barrel status. So I think a lot of people have a pretty good sense of, of what a barrel is and how it's defined. Um, but it with non-barrels, I felt like it wasn't quite as clear. And there's a graphic in the article that's kind of like a visual representation of the combination of launch angle and um, exit velocity that batted balls have to have to fall into on all of these categories, barrels and non-barrels alike. And it looks kind of like a abstract painting in a way. It's all these weird kind of shapes and colors. um, And it's not super obvious how they're calculated. So what I ended up doing was reaching out to the father of uh, barrels and non-barrels and all these batted ball type classifications, Tom Tango, and asking him just straight up, how are these calculated? Um, And he was able to link me to his blog where he laid it all out. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not a very smart man, um, which is (laughs) why, which is kind of the impetus for me behind writing this article, because I felt like sometimes when you're doing hitter analysis and you're, you're digging through all these numbers, it can be kind of overwhelming and you don't have a clear sense of how a lot of things are calculated. So just kind of taking these things and, and trying to put them in a way that a layman like myself would understand um, was kind of like what I was interested in. And when he shared the formulas for all these non-barrels, they looked like something from like an algebra class, um, <laughs> which was way beyond my comprehension. So, you know, once I realized that 
the calculations for these non-barrels was a little too dense to really get a sense of what they were good for. I then kind of pivoted from being interested in how they're calculated to kind of seeing what they were good at producing. Like what were the results um, of these batted balls over the the course of the last few years? So well, at that point, I just kind of pivoted to trying to figure out over the last two years, what each of these batted ball types produced in terms of a lot of like the popular metrics that we use, like batting average, slug, uh, WOBA, WOBACON, XWOBACON, um, getting a sense of what the average exit velocity for all these batted ball types were, what the average um, launch angle was, how often they resulted in home runs. So um, I just felt like these were all things that we could kind of look at and say, okay, so over the last two years, each of these batted balls has on average produced this this amount of production. Um, and then once we knew that, we could then use that to kind of look at a guy's savant page like Mike Trout and see, okay, this, you know, Trout makes a lot of, bar- you know, Trout barrows the ball a lot, but he also makes a lot of really solid contact. He hits a lot of flares and burners, which are good for batting average. So you can kind of start to like piece together a guy's profile from that. Yeah, no, I like that. You, you mentioned Trout, so I still have it up. So last year, if you can play combine flare burners plus solid that's 30.8 you put his barrels on there he's getting closer to 50 percent on three of the you know top categories like you mentioned Mm -hmm. um and i'm with you that's why i like articles like yours and others i'm a very uh layman type individual i've Mm -hmm. taken it's taken me a long time to get to where i am to understanding these things and it's there's still a million times i have questions i have trouble searching things properly on just you know baseball savant like i have I get frustrated real easily with things yeah. like this, but um, like just the graph they have here of, you know, the hitters, um, you know, it's almost like a hitter's heat map and mm-hmm. you can find it on uh, Savant where it has the, the different color codings for the types of hits. And it kind of gives you a good visual of, of where they would go if, if you didn't get it. And then you mentioned your, <laughs> you, you attached the, uh, the tango stuff. Yeah. I could see where that's a bit confusing. <laughs> just looking at that. That reminds yeah. me of a, uh, you know, fourth year college, you know, calculus classes. I don't want to remember ever again. So right. That, exactly. Uh, good stuff <laughs> there. But uh, yeah, your two year average page is really, really cool because it, it does a few things. Like, so if you look at barrels, for instance, you mentioned, we talked about it, the best quality of content, it's what you're striving for. And it enunciates how good a barrel is, you know, a 795 batting average, um, X will bacon, a one, three, seven, two, will bacon, a one, four, one, one, that the will bacon stats, a stat that a lot of us are starting to use quite a bit because, I, I, myself, I think it's got a lot of validity because it takes out, you know, walks and strikeouts, gives you an even better idea of what their quality of contact is. Um, so I think that's interesting. And then you mentioned you want the flare burners, the solid contacts. All of those have an average, uh, batting average like 490 or higher. So those are the things we're striving for. So maybe, you know, we'll talk about this obviously through your article, but I guess just things to just gain off of this chart. Now, instead of just looking at barrels alone, you can look at barrels, flare burners, solid contact, and maybe start calculating guys that way. Is that something you could maybe glean before we go too much deeper into this? Yeah, I mean, you know, once I started digging into the results over the last few years, it kind of it it kind of separated itself. So there are six total batted ball classifications. One of them is barrels. Um, but then the other five are kind of split. You have uh, flares and burners and solids, which are both, as you said, you know, really good for offensive production um, in different ways. Um, but then, you know, you have the other poorly, the poorly hit batted ball types, which aren't as great. So 
it was really from that that I figured, well, what if I just take the the above average batted ball classifications and, and try to combine them in some way to give me a sense of who are the guys who are making the most ideal contact the highest percentage of the time. Um, so that really ended up kind of leading to trying to introduce ideal contact rate. Like I, I think right now it's in its infancy um, and I talk about it in the article, but there are things that that need to be tweaked with with the stat itself in order for it to really be um, really be reflective of the best hitters in baseball. Um, but you know, it, it essentially is is just adding up the barrel solid and flare burner rates, which are the the good batted ball types, and then getting a sense of which guys in the league were the best at generating those types of contact. Um, so, yeah, I mean that's pretty much pretty much what it came down to. Um, I kind of dig into the different the different batted ball types and, and what they represent. So, you know, obviously we know barrels are amazing. Um, that's the batted ball type that you want the most. But then you have um, solids, which are are very similar to barrels. And if you look at the graphic, um, the breakdown of the the exit velocity and launch angle for each batted ball type, you'll see that solids really just kind of line the outside of barrels so Mm -hmm. they're usually batted ball types that either aren't hit quite as hard as barrels or don't have as ideal of a launch angle um but they're very close to barrels in a lot of ways they have a pretty similar average launch angle pretty similar pretty similar uh average exit velocity so they are still really good um they're they're a little bit better for generating extra base hitch than barrels are like um barrels the last two years have resulted in a home run 50 per, 56% of the time, whereas solids result in a home run just over 10% of the time. So you're not getting as elite production from solids, but they they are really good for generating extra base hits and for generating a high average. They have a 489 expected batting average. Um, so they are really good batter ball types. They're, they're just you know fundamentally different than barrels in a lot of ways. And then the third component of, of ideal contact rate was the the flare burner rate, which I learned actually after the article published that flares and burners are each their own type of batted ball type. So you have flares, which are essentially what they sound like. They're the, you know, those balls that kind of fall in between the infielder and the outfielder or between two outfielders, just kind of these sort of medium hit balls that aren't really a threat to do too much damage, but are good at generating base hits. And then you have burners, which are really low hit balls that are just absolutely blistered. um, And that can find their way through the infield before a hitter has, or before a fielder has time to react to them. So they're two very different batted ball types, but they're grouped together because their results are so similar um, at the end of the day. So, yeah, so flares, like when you describe flares, like when I played ball, we call them falling Judy's. Mm-hmm. Uh, because they just kind of like drop in between them. Uh, if you picture like Placido Polanco back in the days, that's like the first guy that popped into my head. He's not right. going to overpower a ton, but he's just going to slap him and that's going to fall. They always had a, a magical act of falling right between like the shortstop and the left fielder. Right. Really good at that kind of thing. Um, yeah. So that, that that's an interesting way to look at it. So, yeah. It, so when you have the barrels and then you have the solid contact, like you said, it, if you look at the colored graph, it just basically surrounds them. And I think it's interesting because I never. I guess I never thought of it that way, but it's interesting that a solid contact is, is either maybe has the proper launch angle, but not the proper extra velocity or vice versa. So it's like really close to a barrel, but just 
missing that uh, barrel ness i guess is the right i was playing with the right word but i created it as we talked um <laughs> and so it's it's really really good contact just not like the elite contact so that's an interesting way to look at it mm-hmm. flares and burners probably more batting average asset that's why those are i believe on your uh your chart flare burners are still like almost a 660 batting average just not much of the power like you know the x the uh the, the will bacon goes down to 622 um so it, it drops a little bit but still uh, a great for average, so that, that's a very interesting way to look at it uh, between those three stats. But then you looked at the uh, the I guess the the bottom three stats. Why don't you let us know about under topped and weak contact? Yeah, so I mean these are really very poor um, batted ball types. They're uh, I mean it's right in the name. They're they're poorly hit balls, so they're generally things you want to avoid. But um, they're all kind of bad in their own way. So. Uh, with tops batted balls, you know, you have um, mostly the balls that are hit at negative launch angle. So anything that you hit into the ground, um, no matter really how hard it's hit, in all likelihood, it's going to be a tops batted ball because it just doesn't have much of a chance to uh, leave the infield. And, and those balls are are not great for batting average. They produce a 180 batting average. Um, they never result in home runs. So that's that's a type of batted ball you obviously want to avoid. Um, under is exactly what it sounds like, although it's not, it's, it's tempting to kind of associate under with pop-ups because, you know, pop-ups are pretty widely considered one of the worst batted ball types. They're as good as a strikeout in a lot of ways, cause it's generally an automatic out. Um, the under batted ball classification actually resulted in a home run 1% of the time. So <laughs> it's not completely useless. Uh, there is a chance that it, it'll do something. Um, but that chance is, is super minuscule. And considering the fact that they almost never leave the yard, um, they're actually the worst, the worst batted ball type, at least in terms of batting average, they produced a, uh, 72 batting average. So that's obviously not something that you would want if you're a hitter, and then poorly weak um, is really, it really doesn't take launch angle into play. It's it's any batted ball that's hit under 59 miles per hour. So, you know, if you're not making really good contact with a baseball, in all likelihood, it's not going to produce great results for you. Um, so pretty much everything that is just hit super weakly falls into that weak category. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are, those are the three that you generally want to avoid. And that makes sense. I wonder, like you said with under, we think pop-ups, which is what I was thinking as well. But I wonder what pop-ups would categorize. I guess I guess you could have a hard-hit pop-up or something and, and might change. Or it could be a pop-up that turns into a flare and, and drops mm-hmm. in, I guess. So yeah. I guess that's that's one way to look at it. So, Or you, you could hit a pop-up and Lu, uh, Luis Castillo could be playing second base <laughs> and um, let the winning run score. Sorry, it's the, it's the Met fan in me. The it's bitter safe. Met fan in me boiling up. It's understandable, and you know I feel bad for for you Mets fans because a every year on one of my other baseball shows, I think I get sucked into liking them to win the division every year because I love the pitching staff, and so mm-hmm. I kind of like go into the season feeling excited like you guys do, mm-hmm. but it's easy for me to just kind of go away when it doesn't go that direction where you guys have to sit through it. I talked to I've talked to so many Mets fans on this show. Now you're another new one. I've had like Joe P. Sapia, and there's just countless of them that have been on the show. And you guys all seem to have the same like, oh, we're we're just Mets fans. Like it's just yeah. it's just it's no. all the same the same kind of. Ugh. <laughs> yeah, it's it's nice though. It kind of numbs me to the world, so I don't have to feel any pain when uh, I encounter disappointment because it's kind of built into being a Mets fan. 
Um, and look and at it this expected. way. Look at it this way. When it does happen in the good, think how awesome it's going to feel. Well, see, that's the thing. That's what I thought would be the case. Like all of the pain <laughs> would make it so much better. But uh, it's funny when they went to the World Series a few years back and they were playing the Royals, the entire run um, up until the World Series, I was completely numb. Like I saw they were winning games. I saw they were winning playoff series. I saw they were going to the World Series and I still felt nothing. So it's like, it's almost like the abuse of being a Mets fan has built up so much over the years that even when the good things happen, I can't, I'm, I'm completely soulless. You're just waiting for the other shoe to drop the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. And the funny thing was when they made it to the World Series, that's when I finally let myself buy in and get excited that they might actually win a championship in my lifetime. And then, of course, like it was a complete travesty, like, I think Alcides Escobar hit like an inside the park home run on the first pitch of the series. It's just like, it's so perfect. They, they really have orchestrated it perfectly to ensure maximum pain for all of their fans. They, it's yeah. almost like it's written by like a master writer of how to make it as tragic as possible. I don't want to turn this into a Barstool Sports podcast. I know that that website can rub a lot of people the wrong ways, but uh-huh. I, I can pick and choose what I like. There's certain things I think are just stupid and like just, just don't need to be done. Certain things that are entertaining. And right. um, the way that the, a couple of their Mets fans cover the Mets, it just summed up everything you said. It, yeah. like they, they do their videos when they lose and stuff, and I'm just sitting there just going, oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but, I so, mean, it's a constant, you know? It gives yeah. you, it's nice to, to be able to rely on their um, complete inadequacy. I guess my closest comparison, because I've been spoiled now as a Giants fan, because up till 2010, I felt a lot of similar feelings ever since, like, the O2 debacle. I'm mm-hmm. like, we're never, we're never going to win. Like, that was it. It was never happening. So right. I got lucky there. But I'm a Dolphins fan in football. And every every year, like they'll start out like even last year, they started out strong. And mm-hmm. all my friends like to poke the bear and like get me excited. I'm like, and I, I'm not. They're gonna finish seven and nine, eight and eight, or nine and seven. That's what they're gonna do. They're gonna have a garbage draft pick. Don't worry about. It. Like, well, last year they started out bad, so that was good. But usually every year, like a couple of years ago, hey, they're gonna make the playoffs. Great. So now we have a worse draft pick when we lose in the first round. This is perfect. Right. Like, yeah. They, they they never find they just live in mediocrity. Yeah, <laughs> it just well, it kills me. As a Jets fan, I think we're essentially like conjoined twins in that respect. Like being in the same division as the Patriots for so long has been brutal. How much? How excited are you about this offseason? It's like watching Rome Rome burn, basically. (laughs) It's amazing. Anything's possible now. Yes, yes, it's it's a beautiful thing. Like once a year, my Super Bowl was when New England would come to Miami late in the year because they'd always slip on the banana peel. Uh That was fun. That was always fun. But now there's like a legit chance where things can get interesting. Like the division's yeah. wide open. I know. And in my lifetime, I have never really experienced that before. So it's a whole new yeah. world. Yeah, it's going to be awesome. Hopefully, you know, the scary thing is I think the Bills have the upper hand right now. But yeah, we'll see. Yeah. That's a that's a whole other well, podcast. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the nice thing is they're still in New York. So I can just be a fan by proxy if they are there you good. Go. And if they're not, I, I don't have any stake. And at worst, if the bills are good, that's just more awesome tailgating videos to watch on Twitter. Because my goodness. <laughs> right. my goodness. <laughs> yeah, the, uh, there's nothing else to do in Buffalo. So <laughs> it's, it's snow and football. We're going to yeah. break chairs. <laughs> but um, all right, let's get back to your ideal contact. We kind of went mm. over the, the six types of contact, the three goods, the three bads. Uh, the chart does a great job for people. I'm gonna, I'll, uh, I'll tweet out the article after we get done recording here. For people to look at the 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 chart alone is is just super valuable as a reference point on uh, what's good, what's bad, so on and so forth. 
um, for each type of stat you're looking at. So let's get into it. Now we get to ideal contact rate. You kind of put it all together. What did you do to put this together? What is ideal contact rate? So ideal contact rate is really just the sum of a guy's barrel, solid, and flare rate. And, you know, as I mentioned, barrel rate is is what you want because it really is good for everything offensively. Like it's good for power, good for extra base hits, good for average. Solids and flares slash burners are a little bit more complicated. They're clearly not as good as a barrel, um, but they each have their own purpose. And I kind of touched on it before, but solids are really kind of the extra base hit um batted ball and then flares slash burners are really for batting average purely um so you know ideal contact rate in its current form is is just adding those three up and and getting a sense of what percentage of a guy's batted balls result in ideal contact um as the stat grows i would like to find a way of kind of weighing barrel solids and flares burners a little bit more because if you look at the, so on the article, or there's a leaderboard for ideal contact rate. Mm-hmm. And I mean, there are some obvious names, obviously, at the top. You have Judge in first, Joey Gallo in second. Then you have guys like uh, Jake Cave in third. Hey, you don't have... knock on Jake Cave, okay? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I do want to dig a little bit into him because I do think he's kind of kind of a fascinating guy that really nobody knows anything mm-hmm. about. But you know, there are definitely outliers in the leaderboard. You have like a guy like Donovan Solano uh, at at 13, David Fries at nine. Mm-hmm. And the reason that they are, are a part of that leaderboard is because they're really propped up by really high flare burner rates. Um, and that's not a bad thing if what you want is batting average. Um, flare, like I said, flares, flares and burners are really good for batting average and the top... 10 guys in the category are Donovan Solano, Victor Reyes, Jake Cave, Brian Reynolds, Neil Walker, Kurt Casali, David Fries, JD Davis, Miguel Cabrera, and Anthony Rizzo. So a lot of complete unknowns and guys that frankly, I didn't even know were in the league last year. Like I thought David Fries retired two years ago. So it was surprising to see him there, but the crazy thing is when you, you look at that list and the names aren't really standing out to you, um, but their batting averages are unbelievable. Like Donovan Solano hit 330 last year. I had no idea. You know what idea. team he played for, right? Yeah, the Marlins. Yeah. <laughs> so that's probably why I, I wasn't aware of it. But, you know, Victor Reyes hit 304. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there, there are some guys who didn't perform quite as well, but David Fries hit 315. So that's kind of like a testament to the fact that Flares and burners are really good for batting average. They might not be as good for generating runs or hitting home runs or hitting extra bases uh, or hitting extra base hits, but they are really good for average. And and some of these guys on this list, they are outliers in the sense that they don't hit a lot of barrels and solids, but they make up for it by hitting a ton of flares and burners. So I kind of mentioned it in the article, but the, the caveat with ideal contact rate is that you can look at ideal contact rate to give you a sense of guys who are excelling at making really good contact, but it is kind of dependent on going in and, and figuring out what percentage of each batted ball they have, because that'll tell you a lot more about whether a guy is, whether a guy's ideal contact is mostly benefiting his batting average or whether it's mostly benefiting his power or some combination thereof. So you know, with the leaderboard, you do have to kind of take it with a grain of salt and, and dig into the the exact breakdown a little bit more. 
but it, it really does just does a good job of kind of highlighting guys who are doing certain things exceptionally well and, you know, highlighting some potential sleepers. Yeah. This leaderboard is awesome. Like I was already talking about the other charts that I, I was really convenient to help, but there's lots of ways to do this. Cause like you said, if you want to look at batting average, you can just, you can rotate it just for the flares burners and it'll update it and tell you, you know, the order for that. If you want to do overall ideal contact, you can go that route. Um, I think some fun adjustments that can be done is maybe, well, this could just be people doing it themselves, but what's just the barrels solids and leaving out flare burners. Maybe that's more mm-hmm. of a power guy per se. Yeah. I'm just right. Saying, uh, things along those lines, but the overall chart gives you a good idea. There's like a hundred players on this chart and it gives you a very good reference point on, you know, like you said, a lot of the guys on the list make sense, you know, judge Gallo cave showed some power at times, but it's maybe a smaller sample. Uh, but you got like Jordan Alvarez, uh, Jason Castro was sneaky last year, JD Martinez, Mike Trout, Nelson Cruz, Domingo Santana, Bryce Harper is there. Like these are all guys you expect to be on this list, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But then you got your sprinkles, like, you know, a potential later round sleeper at second base that people have talked about. Brandon Lau is the 11th mm-hmm. on this list. And he's a 24.5% flare burner guy, but still a 16.3% barrel guy. So he does a little bit of both, which is a uh, very intriguing. So, I think there's a lot of goods to the, to this stat. Um, have you mentioned to say Alex or even Ben that Chris Davis ranks 15th on this list? <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he's another guy who's uh, kind of an outlier in the sense that he's the perfect example of why ideal contact rate really needs to lean on regular contact rate in order to give you a, more context on a hitter. Like, Chris Davis, the crazy thing about his breakdown is he had an above average battle rate last year. He had an above average um, solid rate. He had a well above average flare burner rate, which you wouldn't expect from a guy who hit 179. Um, But obviously what ended up bringing down his overall production was the fact that, you know, he swings and misses so much that, you know, his bat should probably be considered a source of renewable wind power. Like the guy <laughs> just strikes out such an insane amount that he can't take advantage of, of that really good contact that he makes. Um, so that's, that, that's actually a pretty good segue into what I think is another factor in growing the stat, which is finding a way to incorporate a guy's raw contact rate. Um, you know, uh, if you hit a home run every time you make contact, but you only make contact on three out of a hundred swings, you're completely useless from a yeah. fantasy standpoint. So, you know, ideal contact rate tells you how much good contact they make, and that's useful for figuring out what they could potentially do if they do make contact, but you still have to take into account how much contact they make over the course of a season. And, and you know, unfortunately in Chris Davis's case, he doesn't make any contact really at all. Um, he did look pretty good in spring training. And I feel like, it's kind of a shame that we might not have a, a season this year, but it'll, it is also kind of on brand for Chris Davis. Like yes, his potential bounce back being derailed by a global pandemic is just like <laughs> peak Chris Davis. It's peak Chris Davis and peak Baltimore Oriole fans. Like, yeah, right. you get to suffer on this one again. Sorry. Yeah. Not sorry. Like, here we go. <laughs> um, it, it's, it is going to be kind of crazy. If you think about those angles, like Chris Davis is there, Ryan Braun, he might retire after this year. So we, you know, we, he didn't get a swan song as an all-time brewer. Um, right. Mike Trout, another wasted like elite season possibly for Mike Trout yeah. which is going to suck. You know, when we look at the career stats at the end, it's like, 
what could have been is they're going to still be amazing stats you'd imagine but man like another season that's a lot of numbers for mike trout for crying out loud yeah and then you look at these older pitchers like scherzer and stuff another year just kind of takes a toll on guys you never know yeah and the potential of the potential of the Mookie Betts trade just completely being yeah. flipped on its head is just so sweet. All of a sudden, the Red Sox win. Yeah, it's just insane. David Price for Alex Verdugo and Jeter Downs. What a deal. <laughs> <laughs> what a deal. Unbelievable. Oh, yeah, it's going to be some fun storylines. I'll tell you that much. Like right now, everyone's staying optimistic, which I'm trying to do. Yeah. But, man, if, if something ever gets canceled, the stories that will come out of the athletic and other places are going to be electric. Like, yeah, for <laughs> sure. It's, it's, it's going to be great. Yeah. Um, you were talking about the overall contact rate, and that's definitely something that would make sense in this this idea for even like Jake Cave and and, and um, Chris Davis and so many other guys. Now, like when you look at Statcast, they have zone contact, they have chase contact, and and if you haven't looked into this, be totally honest with me because I'm just kind of spitballing here. Mm-hmm. Would you kind of take those and average them out? How would you go about trying to find contact rate, or would you go to maybe Fangraphs and use their contact rate? So, you know, to this point, I've been using just standard contact rate. It would be interesting to kind of dive deeper into, you know, the zone contact and stuff that that you're you're looking into. I think I I don't want to I don't want to give credit to the wrong person, but I think Alex has has talked about um, using zone and chase uh, contact as some way of of figuring out an an ideal contact rate um, in terms of just standard contact rate. So. Yeah, I mean that's definitely something that would be interesting to dive into and to to pair with uh, ideal contact rate. But yeah, I mean um, ultimately it does kind of come down to how a guy is able to pair his ideal contact rate with his ability to make contact, and and that's something that is also you know included at the end of this article, which is is just a chart showing where the top 100 ideal contact rate hitters. Um, are mapped on essentially a X and Y axis with contact rate and ideal contact rate, just to give you a sense of guys who are really good at making a lot of contact and also really good at making ideal contact. Um, So some of the guys, I mean, there are a lot of names there that you would expect to see like Mike Trout being the outlier um, in terms of his ability to be elite at both. Um, But also Jordan Alvarez, who I think some people are maybe overvaluing, but other people kind of, don't think he can repeat um, the amazing season he had last year again. He's kind of another guy that really stands out when you look at the pairing of contact and ideal contact rate. Um, Jay Cave, once again, popping up as, uh, you know, I say in the article, he's like a flaw in the matrix because a lot of what he does is just so strange. Like he has, last year he had a barrel rate that was nearly twice the league average. Uh, His flare burner rate was in the top three among all hitters with 100 batted ball events. And he has a decent enough contact rate, um, but he just managed to hit 258 and hit eight homers. And it just doesn't really square with what we know about, um, you know, all these batted ball types. So he's a guy that I, I kind of think might be worth keeping an eye on in, in, mm-hmm. in deeper leagues. I mean, he doesn't have a clear path to playing time with Buxton, Kepler, and Eddie Rosario uh, in the outfield in Minnesota, but, you know, just the fact that his underlying quality of contact metrics really make him stand out among all hitters in baseball is something to just kind of keep an eye on going forward. Um, you know, he's, he's still, he's only 27. There's a chance something could happen there. So he's like one of, one of a, a handful of guys that, that kind of popped up when I was compiling these things where I was like, okay, maybe that's a guy to just kind of flag and, and see what happens next year. 
Yeah, Jake Jake Cave's a, a guy that I've kind of I've mentioned uh, in tweets and stuff earlier on in the season, kind of looking at deep deep guys when the Twins were talking about trading like Eddie Rosario or something. Because uh, you, you said you do daily, I do daily shows and stuff also, and he's one of those guys when he gets called up and and I kind of a kind of cookie righties on the mound. Uh, mm-hmm. He's a valuable asset. Like he's got so much thump in that bat. So he, yeah. a regular playing time for him would be would be very interesting to see how that would play out for sure. Um, this chart's really cool. Like you said, all the players mapped out on here, and it, it, there there's Chris Davis. Obviously, he got the 47 percent ideal contact, but 63 percent contact rate. So mm-hmm. it kind of has him in a different spot, maybe showing things. But then you got guys like uh, Aaron Judge. You know, ideal contact of 55 is one of the he's the top ideal guy, but his overall contact's only 65. So say we're using this for fantasy. We're trying to say like, hey, do you want Aaron Judge or do you want J.D. Martinez, who J.D. Martinez's ideal contact's, you know, just a little less than 50%, but his overall contact 75. How would you kind of recommend, again, in its infancy, we're going to change things around a little bit more, you said. How would you use this now, say you, this is where we're at and we have a, a season to draft for? Yeah, I mean, I think you would probably want to lean more towards guys who do straddle that line. I mean, you bring up a good comp, which is J.D. Martinez and Aaron Judge. I think Judge clearly has the potential for way more power. Like, if Aaron Judge ever put together a season where he had, let's say, the 75% contact rate that J.D. Martinez has, he could probably hit 280, 290 and, you know, hit at least 60 home runs because – Judge is is far and away the the best at ideal contact rate. He really makes the most of every batted ball that um, he hits. So, I mean, the ceiling there is obviously huge. The floor is also high too, though, because again, the contact rate, right? At least last year was was just at sixty five percent. So, I think really, when you're looking at regular contact rate and ideal contact rate, you're really kind of talking about the balance between floor and ceiling. So a guy like Gallo, who also is kind of in that same area as Judge, has obviously the much higher ceiling in terms of um, power and run production and all that stuff. But their contact rates are so low that you're also talking about a very low floor. Whereas somebody like Mike Trout or Jordan Alvarez, uh, J.D. Martinez, Cody Bellinger, those guys kind of fall in that you know that um, that that area where they're really pairing the two really well. And that kind of gives you a really safe ceiling and floor. Um, so I think that's generally what you would want to be looking for is something that kind of extends and 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 falls between the two as much as possible. And then obviously, you know, you can tweak that based on what your needs are. Like obviously someone who has a higher contact rate is going to be able to produce a higher batting average. You look at some of the names that were up at the top last year among the top 100 ideal contact rate hitters and you have, Justin Turner, Anthony Rendon, DJ LeMayhew, yeah. Howie Kendrick, who had an amazing year, um, Donovan Solano, which we brought up, he hit 330. So, you know, it's really a question of what you need for your team and how much, how risk averse you are. Um, generally, you're going to want a guy who who balances the two fairly well. But again, it kind of goes back to that breakdown of batted ball type. Like if you need a guy who's going to help you in batting average, you can essentially sort by the flare burner leaderboard and find guys who might be completely unknown. Like I don't, I don't know if anyone rostered Donovan Solano last year, but you know, he's a guy that you could have picked up and he would have helped you immensely in batting average. Um, Brian Reynolds is another guy who, you know, really good batting average asset. So 
if you need certain things, it's something where you can kind of tweak what you look for in ideal contact rate. Um, if you, if you play in like a slugging percentage league, that's something where you might lean a bit more into something like solids where that'll give you an indication of which guys are really good at generating extra base hits. So yeah, it's really, it's really about kind of using that mix to your advantage and to kind of suit whatever you need in your particular league. Yeah, that's a great way to go about it. You know, this this corner might be more average, this side more power, this more, mm-hmm. you know, safe in the middle. Really interesting way to go about it. I'm not going to go too much deeper because I want people to check it out because you can literally just scan and, and have so much fun here. But a couple of things to, that, that make me want to dig in more because uh, a couple of players like Keston Hira, he's been a guy that's been that conundrum. Like I've, I've bought into him now. It took me a while of buying into him because, you know, the BABIP is so high. All these numbers are so high. You need to imagine regression, but the quality contact or ideal contact's pretty darn good. And the, mm-hmm. the overall contact's a little low, but the, when he when he makes that contact, it is fierce. So that's something to keep in mind. And then one that really made me laugh is like if you wanted to send Twitter on a blaze for a little bit, <laughs> um, basically Austin Meadows and Juan Soto are on top of each other. They have like yes. identical numbers, which would just send people in a tailspin, which is so much <laughs> um, So that's where these kind of charts, like I have a lot of fun with because, you know, then people go, but Juan Soto does this. Well, you know, you guys that believe in your stats, they're basically saying they're almost the same player. Almost. I'm not going to say they are, but you look at this chart, very similar right. players. Yeah. <laughs> so. so, yeah. Um, Austin Meadows is better than Juan Soto. You heard it here first. Add you me all you want. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, yes. But yeah, I mean that's yeah, that's definitely definitely a great point. They do kind of highlight guys that maybe are being overlooked in some ways, but who have those those really good underlying skill sets. Um, Domingo Santana actually is one mm-hmm. that's that stood out to me because he kind of when you look at that interactive chart, he falls into the same kind of ballpark as Jorge Soler, um, Nelson Cruz, Bryce Harper, um, and he's a guy who you know he got injured last year in the second half, so he wasn't quite the guy that I think a lot of people um, were hoping he would be able to do, he would be able to be based on his first half. Um, but, you know, the underlying metrics are are absolutely there. And, you know, what he was able to do in that first half kind of spoke to a potential huge breakout from him. Like he had a 12% barrel rate, 6% solid rate, 29% flares and burners. Those are all above average. He had an, uh, an ex-wo bacon that was eighth um, in all of baseball right behind Christian Yelich last year in the first half. He was slashing 286, 354, 496, uh, and he's just 27 years old. So there's so much going on there with Domingo Santana. And when I look at the chart and see him among names like Harper and Cruz, it really kind of gets me excited for a potential sleeper next season. So that's another thing that that's kind of cool about the chart is just kind of going over the different names and seeing the breakdown and trying to find these guys who are going undrafted in a lot of formats that – could return a ton of value this season. Totally agree. And what's best about it is I've said this to Max Free, to Dan Richards and many others is there's a lot of similarities and a lot of things that are getting built these days, but they're all different in their own right. So it's another great tool to help you with your analysis, to help you maybe you're torn on two players and this kind of helps differentiate a little bit. Um, I, I honestly, I don't think anything's the end all be all. I don't think anybody would admit that anything's the end all be all. But I think this is a great tool to utilize StatCast to a whole new level. And that's why I was told you I was super intrigued by it when I saw it come out. I, I really want to talk to you about it because um, there's, there's tons of great stats out there. Uh, if, if, if Tanjo sent me the thing that he sent you, 
I would have probably given up. Um, so I give you credit <laughs> for that. Like I just would have looked at that. Oh no, I'll just let someone else do this. Um, yeah, it's like but, looking at the scrolling numbers in the matrix. Yeah, you might, as well, you might as well have given me the Torah and told me to read it. Like it, was <laughs> like, it wasn't happening. Right. But um, it, it was it was really really cool and um, like like a couple things that I would like to see if you when this thing develops. I know there's going to be many many levels to it as yeah. you guys continue to tinker with it and whatnot. You mentioned waiting it for, you know, contact and everything. I think that would be pretty cool. Um, maybe having it so you could filter for power guys, average guys, so on and so forth, which you can kind of do already, but mm-hmm. you know what I mean. And then one that I think I'd love, and again, if you're a daily guy, I think it'd be huge, is splits. Lefty, righties, home, road, that type of deal, because that obviously yeah. differentiates. I think splits would be a very fun one, but I'm not smart enough to even do what you did. So I don't blame you if you tell me, no, I'm not going to do that right now. Bubba. That's cool. No, but that's a, I honestly, I hadn't even thought about doing splits. That, that's a great idea, especially for, for guys who tend to really just demolish one type of hitter. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm all about daily leagues. So you know, I, I guarantee you guys like David Fries and Howie Kendrick would change a little bit. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, and I mean, you you bring up an interesting point about the the mix of the batted balls. It was something I kind of wrestled with when when I was in the process of writing this, and I kind of posed the question to people and got a split response. So I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are. But um, so let's say I was an all powerful being, and I came to you uh, and I said, I guarantee a hitter on your standard five by five fantasy team would go eat three for five with three singles. Or two for five with two doubles. Which of which of those would you choose? On your standard five by five fantasy team, mm-hmm. you would want the three for five for your batting average, right? But it doesn't. Uh, it's not nearly as sexy as saying I got two doubles, right? And the, the thing is, like you know, when you when you really kind of hone in on it, I I think most people would say three for five because it's just more hits and more opportunities to drive in runs, more opportunities to potentially score runs, but then two for five, you know, in, in terms of regular analysis, like obviously you would want more extra base hits. It puts you in a position where you might have an opportunity to score runs easier. It puts you in a position where if there are guys on base, you could potentially drive in more runs. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like a, a, a weird kind of thought experiment, but it, it essentially is the crux of me trying to figure out what the appropriate weight for solids and flares and burners are because it's true that's essentially what that that comparison comes down to like would you rather have a guy that'll give you a better batting average or would you rather have a guy who will give you a slightly worse batting average but has a higher chance of potentially driving in runs so that's like kind of something like i'm trying to wrestle with in terms of weighing them compared to barrels and once i once i figure out the the appropriate mix i think that'll help kind of eliminate some of the outliers and, and really help elevate guys who excel primarily in barrels and, and give you that really ideal kind of contact that you're looking for, at least when you're doing fantasy analysis. So um, yeah, I think going forward, that's something that I'm, I'm going to have to be focused on a little bit more in addition to, you know, working in contact rate and, and potentially splits um, if I'm able to. So that's an interesting way to look at it. Cause it makes sense, especially in this era of baseball, uh, I just did a 1994 podcast with Toby and Brockness Monster, and mm-hmm. we we looked at the year by year development and change of kind of offensive numbers. And in '94 and even before, you saw more batting average, 
and there's still power, but not nearly as much. And then it shifted to less power and more, uh, more power and less batting average. And so in that theory, the two for five would make more sense because you're getting extra base hits, more chances to score runs. Uh, in this era of baseball, basically, is what I'm saying that we're living in. That mm-hmm. might be the definite more important one to look at. And also, you know, two doubles will give you the more uh, will bake and X will bake and all those things. The barrels would be better um, on paper, should be better. So right. that's an interesting, yeah, that is quite the dilemma you're in, actually. I don't, envy, <laughs> I don't envy you on that one to try to, yeah, to figure out, like, okay, give this one like 7.3% and this one like, like weighted differences that's that's going to be very tricky maybe honestly the way you have it is totally fine like i said as long as you can you know like you already do where you can click on one column and it'll change to the leaders in that column mm-hmm. you can kind of put it together yourself i guess if you wanted to do just a power one you could maybe freeze the um the flare burner or the flare uh whatchamacallit column and then just have the um let me get here. Uh, you just have the barrels and solids and let right. them combo that number. That'd be more of the power category, I guess. I don't know. This is yeah, a, I mean, just it's on. interesting because when you when you look at the, the three batted ball types that go into ideal contact rate, if you were going to weigh that, and this is something I considered, but if you were going to weigh them by something like X-Wo Bacon, mm-hmm. a barrel is essentially twice as good as both a solid and a flare burner. Yeah. So something that I've been kind of toying with is is – weighing a barrel essentially twice as much as both a solid and a flare burner with the acknowledgement that, you know, a guy who, if you want more batting average, maybe you'll lean more on the guy who hits more flares burners. But, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of something that I, that I've been, been toying with and I hope will give me some kind of insight on the future iteration of the stat. Yeah, no, and I'm looking forward to seeing it because I've enjoyed the discussion on this and it's quite an awesome stat because, I, like I said, I use a lot of StatCast stuff incorporated in my articles that I write in my analysis that I do, and I, I'm already excited to. I'm gonna. I got an article. It's. I should hopefully finish tonight for something. And there's a name on here that I'm writing about that I think I'm gonna throw in some ideal contact information on there, just to. Oh um, wow! Yeah, because um, I want. He's he's a potential sleeper breakout can like super late draft pick, but. I'm doing first baseman super late, and Rowdy Telez is one of them, and he's 35th on your list. Yeah, um, there you go. I thought you were going to say Jake Cave. No, no, I, I love Jake Cave. <laughs> I have not written about Jake Cave. Um, I actually got ridiculed by Minnesota Twins fans when I was like, I went on like a Twitter thing about it way back in like January, I think. So, um, but mine would be like Rowdy Telez. He's technically rates out equal to Nicholas Castellanos, who I am a gigantic fan of. Uh, he's mm-hmm. equal to Mookie Betts. Like, this is what I'm going to write about. It's going to be so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Wait. Um. So, yeah, this is an awesome, awesome tool. I want to say thank you for putting it together because it's. I, I'm looking forward to where it's going, but where it's at already, I think, is a very useful tool to have. Yeah, I mean, I, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, honestly, it was. it's just one of those things where you're interested and you're curious in something, and it kind of leads you down a, a path, and... Yeah, I managed to learn a lot from from writing it, so I'm, I'm glad other people are able to to take something away from it. All right, well, I think we'll we'll end it there. Uh, we pretty much covered it all. Again, I'll tweet out the the article and uh, I'll attach it to the the post and everything when everything's available. But uh, what are you just taking it easy now in this kind of downtime, or what do you got going on? What are you planning on? What's next up your sleeve? I'm playing a lot of Call of Duty Warzone and eating a lot of Cheetos. Um, but other than that, in terms of baseball uh, content, 
Um, yeah, I mean, we're, we're over a pitcher list. We're con- trying to keep churning out quality content, uh, quality content over the next few weeks, just because there's so very little to, to distract us. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've been writing a lot of good stuff. I'm hoping to expand, um, this article and this stat a little bit over the next few weeks since I'll have nothing but time on my hands. Um, and beyond that, um, you know, we record, uh, on the barrel every few weeks. So you can keep a, uh, an eye out for that. And hopefully uh, I'll be able to get the first 2020 iteration of hitter list up on the site at some point. So um, if you want an excuse to yell at me, I highly recommend you wait for that article to drop and you can criticize me to your heart's content. Isn't it fun how people like to criticize our rankings on things. And when uh, I remember the first time I made rankings and you obviously do too, people think they're easy to make. They are not right. easy to make. They are not at yeah. all. <laughs> uh, so the thing I'll say about rankings is they're easy to critique because in your mind, I think most people have a sense of like how they value certain guys. Um, but yeah, when you have to sit down and, and try to rank a bunch of uh, like hundreds of players, it it is pretty difficult. Um, you know, but I always I always feel like I learn something from when people give me uh, feedback. So, you know, I, I definitely welcome the, uh, the the passion that people bring to it. Well, I'm looking forward to to seeing your list, and I'm seeing what next you have on this iteration of this awesome uh, new new tools. What I'm going to call it. I know it's a stat, but I use it as a mm-hmm. tool. So it's a tool yeah. to uh, help evaluate players. So uh, it's really cool, and I'm glad we got to sit down and chat. I look forward to uh, having you on again sometime. Yeah, thanks so much, man. I appreciate it. No problem. Everybody, go check him on Twitter at John underscore E underscore Baseball. John with no H. John Metzler, everybody. I hope you guys enjoyed the show. This is Bench with Bubba, episode 269. Catch you guys next time.